Hello, everybody. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, how we can worship God with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and with all of our minds. And um, to help us with that, we've been looking at Jesus as well and how he, um, how he d- demonstrated his strength, how um, he can ease our soul. Um, and this week, we're going to be looking at loving God with our hearts and, and to do that we need to know what what is our heart what is at the heart of us and so I'm uh, going to kind of start off by asking the question well who are we really who are we um, when you meet someone for the first time uh, I met somebody for the first time this morning and I said well what's your name that's the first thing so I, I, I was going to sh- draw you a picture here now, believe it or not, I've got three O-level arts. It's quite a, quite a feat. But um, I'm not going to demonstrate my great artistic thing. I'm going to draw you a picture of me, which is very basic. There you go. Oh, my pen's going to run out. This is me. And my name is... Oh, need more pens. My name is Steph. And I'm sorry I didn't do the proper introduction. I get quite nervous. The the most nerve-wracking bit of the service for me is doing the notices. Strange but true. There you go. So I am Steph. And um, some of you will know that that's that's not really my name. That's my middle name, actually. Um, But quite often, when you name a child, that's significant, isn't it? And that kind of name means something. I know what my name means. I'm not going to tell you because you'll go, oh, no, not really. Um, but I have a, another first name, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. You can chat amongst yourselves. So I'm Steph. Um, I am the assistant minister here, which is very grand. And I can't spell. That's something you all need to know about me, a minister. There you go. So that's been quite a new thing. That I've, um, I am also uh, somebody's wife. Uh, I'm Don's wife, actually. And I said this morning earlier, that's why he always looks a bit sad, because he's, he's stuck with me, basically. I'm also a mother. I've got two boys. Well, they are men. And one of them's, I don't know, 29, going on three and a half. Do you know what, that sort of thing? And I blame the parents, basically. Um, so that's me. I've got, a, I've got two boys. I'm, I've also got three brothers, so I'm their sister. I've also got a mum, so I guess I'm a daughter. Still around? Um, what else? I, I am a Christian. It's good if you're an assistant minister to be a Christian, I feel. So that's me. I'm a Christian. And actually, that's quite important to me. And I didn't realize that until a few years back when um, I... Because my Christian life has not been all roses. It's not been like that sort of Christian life. My Christian life has been uh, uh, like that for several years. So I was... You know, not, not what you would call a very good Christian. And, and in amongst that time, I started going out with my husband, who wasn't a believer, and we got married. Um, but, but it was at that and he was very supportive. He was one of those guys who says, I'm, I'm fine with what you believe, that's it, you can go to church. And he would tell me off if I didn't go. Why aren't you going? Um, but he, one of the things he said, but don't talk to me about it. I don't want to know about it, but you do it. I'm, I'm, I'm supporting you in that. And it really hurt, actually, because I realized then that at the heart of who I was was my faith. You know, who, who I am 
is a Christian. And everything I did, thought, felt, sprang out of that, which is quite interesting, really. So my response to situations is all hinged on the fact that I am a Christian at the heart of me. So I don't know what else I am. Oh, I'm a gardener. Some of you will know that. I like to do gardening. This is how I, how I chill out, although I don't chill out when it's chilly. I'm a, I'm a fair-weather gardener. You should know that about me. Um, so that's a, that's a few things about me. Um, and in your little, little um, bulletin, there's a little picture in there with little arrows off it. So you can do that yourself, and you can say, well, what defines me? What's at the heart of me? Who am I? Um, do you know another thing that kind of defines us? I actually didn't think about this, but I suppose our ethnicity um, defines who we are as well. Um, and our age defines us. I think people take one look at you and they kind of sum you up, especially if you've got white hair. Apparently, people walk... You know, when I used to walk down the street, I used to get, believe it or not, I used to get whistled at. Okay, a few years a lot of time earlier. But now I kind of get ignored. You know, I'm just one of the grey brigade, you know, just goes walking by. Ah, oh, come on there. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay, so... But, and, and, you know, when you fill out these forms and you apply for something, and there's this little section at the bottom and you've got to put a circle around your age group. Are you this to that? Are you this to that? I'm not telling you what I am. Um, and also, I don't know if you've heard about this, but... The sort of period that you were born in is, kind of defines you as well. Because I, I think I'm one of the late baby boomers, you know, the sort of after the war. It was a bit of a surge in the birth rate. Um, and I'm one of those. And there's characteristics that they say, all of us are sort of like this and like this and like this. And then my children, they are Generation Xs. And probably quite a few of you would be Generation X. And there are things that define you. You know, the way you feel about authority. It's all very similar. And stuff like that. So, I'm not going to t- talk to you about it. Find out about it. It's fascinating. But the, and the, the current young people generation, they call them Generation Y. I don't know why, but they are Generation Y. Moved on. Are they? Oh, well. You see, I just can't keep up. It's my age. Okay, so... So, but do you ever get to that stage in your life? Well, there are times in your life when you just think, well, who am I? Really? Who am I? And um, I think there are sort of times when you, you really do think about this. And recently I went forward for accreditation as a Baptist minister. And that was a real kind of, well, who am I moment. And, um, you know, I was, I was off for a few days and people were asking me questions and seeing how I reacted to this. And even in your downtime, they were watching you in the coffee bar and how you interacted with other people. It was all about. And you kind of had to prove that you were good enough to be a minister of the Baptist church, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I got through it. But I have to say, afterwards, I kind of went through this, and I'm still there, to be honest with you, kind of going through this period like, well, I'm not really sure I'm good enough to be a minister. I've got there, but uh, actually, I don't know. Um, what are my motivations? Am I, what are my abilities? Am I good enough? Um, and what about my relationship with God? Surely that should be a lot better than it is. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think you go through times in your life when you just think, well, who am I really? And sometimes our evaluation of who we are is based on what other people think we are 
or say about us. And there is a saying that you should never believe your own press. You know, if people big you up a bit and you start believing it, you're in big trouble, big trouble. And a lot of celebrities, I think, I mean, that's part of their downfall because they actually start believing what other people say about them. I think Chris Evans, who's kind of been in news a bit lately, he suffered from this. When I remember his kind of first coming, if you like, and people thought he was marvellous and he started believing it. He stopped, and he, you, you will hear him talking about this. He stopped putting the work in. He started believing he was fine and he didn't have to do anything. And it was his downfall. So, you know, it can be dangerous believing your own press. And there is a saying, and you have to pin back your ears to, to kind of get your head around this one. There is a saying that goes something like this. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. You get that? I shall say it again. I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. So our perception of us is kind of coloured by what we think other people think of us. But I think, actually, the reality is that we are what God thinks we are. Because he really, really knows us. He knows us inside out. And he knows what we could be, and he knows what we can be. And Jesus speaks with great compassion and love to his disciples. And we see Jesus' heart for his followers plainly revealed in this passage that Eileen read earlier. And it's, it's from John chapter 14, I think. Yes, John chapter 14. And it's one of the best bits of the Bible. You read chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. It's an amazing part of the Bible. And Jesus is speaking at a time when his disciples are a bit worried because he's just told them he's going to go. And we see Jesus' heart for his followers plainly revealed in this passage. He doesn't want his followers to be troubled. And his heart for us means that he wants several things for us. And I think the first thing that is clear is that we should be rooted in God's love. We need to know and live in the reality that we are loved deeply, deeply by God. We are loved. In John Chapter 14, verses 21 to 23, he says this. This is Jesus. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. They who love me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. How many times in those two verses was the the word love used? This is significant. God loves us. We are loved by God. And the way that we can express that love for him is to obey him. This is the way Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to live as he lived. And he says in verse 31 that the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Basically, Jesus is saying, I want you to be just like me. I want you to express your love the way I do. And the way I express my love is I do what the Father asked me to do. This is how Jesus measures his love for God. 
And this is how he measures our love for God. It's reality. It's not obedience to God's rules and, and commands or teaching that earns God's love. But actually, it's the way true love is naturally expressed. I mean, you know when somebody loves you by the things they do for you and to you. They might say they love you, but if they do things that hurt you, you know that's not real. Isn't that not right? Love is a doing word, not a feeling word. Jesus wants his disciples and us to know that if we will obey his teachings and embrace it as the best way to live life to the full, our lives will be greatly enriched. Now, this life is talked about earlier in John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, an interesting thing about the whole of John's Gospel is when Jesus talks about why he's there, saving you is never mentioned or rarely mentioned. The whole theme, as John records it, is Jesus came to give us life. That's what it's about. I think that some people seem to think that if you live the Christian life, if you follow the commands of Jesus, you will live an impoverished, frugal, joyless life. But this is not the picture that Jesus draws, and it's certainly not his intention for us. When my sons were small boys, they used to spend a considerable chunk of their free time winding each other up. And they used to wind their parents up as well. I don't know if it's a familiar story to you. I don't think it's just my kids that do that. Oh, yeah, I've got you. Yeah, okay. They would, they would fight. They would squabble. Um, maybe they wouldn't share things. And they would generally bicker. Okay? And it used to frustrate me so much as a parent because I could see all the fun that they were missing out on because they were spending all their energies being horrible. They could, they could be enjoying each other's company, couldn't they? They could be enjoying my smile and not my frown and my harsh words. They seemed to waste so much time, so much precious time, being unnecessarily unhappy and making each other, or me, unhappy. And I wonder if it's not like that for our Heavenly Father, who looks down at his children and says, oh, for goodness sake, get a grip. Get a life. If you want a life, live a life of love. Many people think their lives are fun. And in our society particularly, there's a huge industry in pursuing fun. But in reality, this fun often is like ashes in people's mouths. Their lives are spent pursuing things that they think will bring them happiness. And instead, often their lives bring unhappiness to others, but also to themselves. To live an abundant life, a rich life, a good life, a fulfilling life, obey the commands of Jesus. Jesus wants us all to know him. And wants us to know that in him we can really, really live. He says that in verse 19. He says, because I live, you will. 
you also will live. In the next chapter, in chapter 15, in verses 9 to 12, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You, you are my friends if you do what I command. To live an abundant life, obey the commands of Jesus. Live a life of love. In verses 16 to 17 and verse 26, he talks about the Holy Spirit and he says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to see you. In verse 18, he tells the disciples who know that Jesus is leaving them and going somewhere that they cannot follow, that he will not leave them as orphans. They are not to be left alone. Instead, he says, I'm going to send you another counsellor, the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two Greek words for another, apparently. One is alos, and the other is heteros. So, I have another jumper. You'll be surprised to hear I have another jumper. Um, um, I have uh, black and white, kind of a different V-neck, you know. So, that would be the same but different. Get my... Yeah? It's another one, but the same. But I am a sad, sad individual. And when I like something, I really like it. Clothes, particularly. And I bought myself a pair of shoes once. I went into a shoe shop and I saw a pair of shoes and my husband nearly fell over because I said, oh, I like those, I'll have those. And he said, what? What? You haven't got to try on the whole shop. Um, I said, no, I really like them. So I bought these shoes and I wore them for a few days and I said, I really like these shoes. I really, really, I'm going to buy another pair. They are great because these ones are going to wear out and I'll, and I'll I need another pair. And I did that once with a pair of boots, I have to say. Got the next pair, half price in the sale. How cool is that? So, um, and uh, I, have, I have bought a, a, a second blouse that was identical to the first one. And I have got three jumpers that are the same. So sometimes if you see me wearing the same clothes, honestly, I do change. Okay? Uh, I just like the same stuff. But that, that's the word that Jesus uses here. The same, identical. So that he's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Another, another, just like me. Identical, made of the same stuff. And so, I don't know, some of you may be wary of the Holy Spirit and what he, he is like and all that sort of stuff. But I can tell you, he's the same as Jesus. If you know about Jesus and you think he's cool, then the Holy Spirit's okay. okay? If you think you can trust your life to Jesus, then you can trust your life to the Holy Spirit. He's made of the same stuff. Okay, have you got that? Good. Go on. So, enough about jumpers. So, he says that um, he's going to send, 
Send the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sending this Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And he says a bit later, it's best that I go because something even better is going to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he came to earth as a person. And he was in one place at one time. You know, when he was in Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem. Yeah? But when he sends the Holy Spirit, the counselor, he's everywhere. And he's not just standing beside or in front of his disciples. He can be in you. Okay. So that's the kind of relationship you can have with his Holy Spirit. We are loved so much that a peace of God can live in us. This is really significant. And one of the reasons that this peace of God can live in us is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died to take away all our sins, all our rubbish, if you like, so that now there's a clean place inside of us for the Holy Spirit to live. At the very heart of us, if you're a Christian, is the heart of God. The other thing that Jesus wants to give his disciples and to us is peace. He wants us to know that we can have God's peace, and he says that in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Steve, at the back there, spoke so helpfully last week about this very thing, about how the Lord can help us with our anxieties, our worries. And I would encourage you, um, I was going to encourage you to take the CDs, but I obviously encouraged too many people this morning at the first service to take the CDs because they've all gone. But the talk is on the web, so if you go onto the website, you can download this talk. And personally, I found it really, really helpful. So if you have a problem with anxiety and worry, hands up if you don't, um, download that and listen to it. It's a really good talk. We don't have to live in anxiety and worry. Jesus is giving us peace. We just kind of have to take hold of it. We can just cast all our anxieties onto him. Jesus tells his disciples all this, knowing that he is about to die, knowing that they are anxious, frightened, they're feeling vulnerable, and they are feeling the loss of Jesus, even though he's still there with them. You know, but they know he's going. And the thought of it is just too much for them. Now, I don't know about this, but I would think that when you know that you're about to die... You would choose your final words quite carefully, wouldn't you? Imagine that, that you knew that you were with the people that you loved most in the world and you knew that the next day you would be gone. You would think about what you would say to them and you would think about what is it that I really, that's in me that I really need to get across to them. What is it that they really need to hear right now? I think you would want to say everything that's on your heart and everything that you know they need to hear. Do you know, and this is it. These chapters, 14, 15 and 16, are Jesus' last words to his disciples. Chapter 17 is his final prayer. 
Now, if you want everything encapsulated, read these chapters because they are great. These last few chapters are really significant. And Jesus is trying, through these words, to get his disciples to finally get it. What he's been going on about for three years, what he's been demonstrating, what he's been showing, what he's been living. And if you read the Gospels, you know that these disciples were a bit thick. They really didn't get it. And Jesus was frustrated quite often by them. And aren't we a bit like that? We just, so often we just don't get it. But what is in these words, these final words of Jesus, is his message to you and to me. Summed up, I guess, the top of the list is, you are loved. If you obey his commandments, you'll know his love even more. And if you follow his teachings, you will live in this love. And you will truly know life and live it to the full. And you know, you can know peace rather than fear, anxiety and worry. And you're never alone. You will not be left like an orphan, lonely or frightened. You will always have Jesus with you. I was just thinking about that that phrase, I will not leave you as orphans. And in the footage that we've seen about what's going on in Haiti, you know, you see little babies being rescued and their parents are dead. And what what is that life of an orphan like? Without love, without security, without someone looking after them, without care. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you like that. So if you ever feel like that, don't. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. Because you can have the Holy Spirit with you and in you. We all need to hear Jesus' heart for us. And we need to receive it and know that we are loved by God. And we need to live as those who know that he is in our hearts and at the heart of who we are. We're going to listen to a song now. And then we're going to have a time to respond to some of the things that I've been saying.